Hi folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things that we can all do to live a better life. If times get tough, or even if they don't, coming to you once again from Hot Springs Village, Arkansas, high atop the Highway 7 Ridge Line from TSPN. Uh, well, that's the Survival Podcast Network headquarters, a.k.a. The Ant Hill. Today is April the 5th, two. 2012. Yes, 2012. That means it's the year that everything's supposed to explode and collapse in on itself and the Mayans are going to rise from the grave and eat children or something like that. I don't know. As you know, I don't believe in any of that. I do believe that we're in for some really hard times economically in our future. I think that Greece is a window into that. I think Argentina uh, and what it went through is a window into that. And I think when it's the entire United States going through it, it's going to be much, much worse. We're going to be talking about that and many other things today. This is going to be one of my shows where it's uh, more of a like a chat session with me and me just telling you what I think about some things and giving you some ideas and clearing up some stuff from some previous episodes and some questions that have come in. Not really a feedback show, but just kind of looking at it, a few things that I think maybe people need to have a better understanding of or have taken the wrong way or what have you. Uh, before we do that, though, let's go ahead and take care of our sponsors. They do a lot to help take care of you. Sponsor of the day number one today is Fortress Defense Consultants. You know, I, I had bulk ammo as sponsor of the day yesterday and said you need ammo to go with your gun. You know, the other thing you need to have go with your gun to, uh, to make it effective and useful is training. Uh, it is so easy to believe that you know what to do when the situation warrants it. But, you know, it takes, it takes one hang-up that costs you a half a second to end up dead in a deadly confrontation. It takes one hiccup. It takes one half of a second. And that is reality. And that means that you need as much training as you can get. I'll tell you what, I don't think you can do better than Fortress Defense Consultants. Get in touch with Frank Sharp Jr., set up a training. You can either go into his facility, or if you have a small group you want to put together, they'll even travel and come to you and set up customized training for you. I don't know a lot of people that do that. Get in touch with them today, FortressDefenseConsultants.com. Best way to get to their site or any of our sponsor site, of course, is go to the website, click on the banners in the right-hand margin. That way you'll be sure you're dealing with who, you know, a real sponsor versus a cheap imitator. Next up today, the Berkey guy, Jeff Gleason at Directive21.com. Now, Berkeys are well-known as one of the best water filtration systems ever created. They're extremely high quality. They look beautiful. They have a little bit of a startup cost, but reality-wise, per gallon production is so cheap, it's insane. It makes buying bottled water in the store, which is nowhere near as good for you as far as I'm concerned because it's sitting in a plastic bottle. But it makes buying that water like buying, I don't know, Starbucks coffee as water. When you look at the cost per gallon, it's it's a huge money saver. It gets some of the things in your water that are there now, especially in municipal systems that you would prefer not to be there, uh, out for you. And should we ever end up in a long-term disaster or emergency, it'll make just about any water out there safe to drink. Check them out today. But why, why, why buy a Berkey system from the Berkey guy? Why don't I just buy it from one of the other millions of places you can get it? Because he's the Berkey guy. That's what he does. He's not out there with like 400 million things. He just has Berkey's uh, and a few other assorted things. And I'll tell you what, he does more business with Berkey than just about any, one, any other reseller out there in America today. And because of that, he's got great pricing, great service, and if something goes wrong because there's humans involved in the equation, he's able to fix it, and he always does. Total number of complaints from the audience about Jeff Gleason in three-plus years. Zero. That's the kind of sponsor I want. That's the type of person I want doing business with my audience. That's why he's part of what we do here. Next up today, remember you can connect with me on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter. Uh, those are the best ways to stay in touch with me. Last but not least, do consider joining my member support brigade. If you do that, uh, you help support the show at about 20 cents an episode. Uh, you also get some content that's available nowhere else. You get discounts to over 32 vendors. Uh, and that, that discount absolutely positively will pay you back if you're buying the kind of stuff we talk about here all the time. If you use it, the system pays for itself. That's how I designed it. Military, law enforcement, Peace Corps, active duty, prior service, just about any first responder. Um, you guys get an even better deal. Uh, it's my way of recognizing you for the service that you provide to your community, your nation. 
uh, etc. And uh, you can just email me with something like service discount in the subject line and uh, tell me who you are and what you did or who you are and what you're doing, and I will send you your discount code uh, to thank you for your service, and you'll get a better deal on the MSB. I don't publish the discount, but I do say it is significant. Okay, with that racked up, let's get into today's main topic. One thing I want to talk about is um, yesterday's show, I had Steve Harris on, and he gave out a ton of information. Uh, the first 20 minutes he was on, though, People were like, yo, he's really just selling his stuff. He was selling his stuff. He was also giving out a ton of information. And I would like people for a second that get really upset when somebody sounds like they're selling something they have to think about something. Steve Harris is a full-time marketer of product uh, on the Internet. That's what he does. It's how he pays his bills. When he comes on this show, he usually spends about an hour and 20 minutes on the air, but it usually takes two hours or more of his time just so we can do the show. Uh, this time it took more because of technical difficulties. On top of that, Steve does more work to prepare for a show than any guest I've ever interviewed. I would gather that Steve spends a good three to four hours in advance preparing to do an interview on this show. So that means that every time you have Steve Harris come on here and tell you all types of things about alternative energy that you never knew before and tell you how to do things and where to get free stuff and give away information that he actually sells over and over and over again, that he probably has six to seven hours of his time invested in the show. So when he says, hey, I have this stuff and it's really good and it really is really good and I sell it and here it is and you can get a discount on it, you know... I don't think you should get too bent about that. It did go longer than I really like it to yesterday, but it was because we were telling you something, and this is the one thing I want to cover today because I don't think people in large get how big a deal it is. Stephen, with this new enzyme, apparently it's not new, it's just not been available to the general public before, has come up with a way that you can take starches. Okay, And I want you to understand, if you are going to go out and buy Dixie Crystal Sugar to make ethanol, it will cost you just about the same as buying gasoline. It absolutely will. It will not save you any money. That is a recommendation for maybe the first time you do something like this to learn the skill set and learn how to do it and convince yourself it can be done. The way that you... Generate alcohol fuel for less money is to use starches that you can get either dirt cheap or for free, like farm bread, which is bread that's been sitting around so long, it's no good anymore. Uh, and they're going to feed it to hogs or to get two-day-old donuts or any kind of starch uh, or sugar component you can get and then mash it into uh, sugar and then ferment it. This new enzyme, this constellation, whatever it is, allows you to do that without heat which just took a huge energy input out of the equation. And that is really exciting. And I think he was trying to explain that and everything he's already talked about before, and that's why he went so long. But even if you don't want it still, right, if you are involved in making fuel, uh, alcohol-based fuels in any way, shape, or form, the fact that that enzyme's going to be available through him is huge. And the fact that he has the zeolite and shows you how to use the zeolite um to get the water out of the last bit of water out, those are two things no one else has been able to do or cared enough to do. And that's why he was so excited. And that's why he oversold it a little bit. And the excitement and the genuine effort is why I allowed him to oversell it a little bit instead of pulling him back like I normally would have, right? Okay, so there, there's the reality behind that. Um, and I mean, kind of the last part of that is, uh, I've also had complaints about Steven's email list because, you know, he actually, like, tells people after they join his email, it's, hey, buy my stuff. Uh, if that bugs you, don't get upset. Unsubscribe from the email. I mean, it's, it's amazing to me that people actually are surprised that you buy from someone who sells stuff that says to you later on, hey, I sell other stuff. Do you want to buy it? Okay? Um, so that's that's how to handle that. And just appreciate the man because he's brought more knowledge to this audience on the subject of energy than every other person combined that's discussed it on the show and more accurate knowledge. The last part about like his kit, and this is another reason I kind of let him oversell it. I've seen so many people put a product together and it sells and then they're happy and they just keep selling it and selling it and selling it. But that's not what he did. He put a kit together and it did quite a bit. But then there was like a roadblock and then he found a solution to the roadblock and added it. And then there was another roadblock. 
You know, how do we get that last bit of water out of there? Then he found another solution, the zeolite. And there's another problem. Well, people don't have a fermentation vessel, and they're trying to use a five-gallon bucket, so I'll add that to the kit. And then, all right, well, you know, then you have to do all this propane burner and outside cooking and basically learn how to mash beer is what you're kind of learning how to do, and so I'll find this other thing, and I'll make it dump and stir and add to the pot. And that shows a commitment to make what you're doing the best it possibly can be. I'm not saying the damn things for everybody. It's not. You know, if you're buying it because you're using it to prepare for the apocalypse and you think you're going to make enough alcohol fuel to be the road warrior, I think you're really not getting the point. It's about small-scale production, skill set development, and over time, a return of investment. There you go. All right, so I'm going to move on from there now. I want to talk about something completely different and... And about the political climate, yesterday I posted something on my Facebook, and I actually kind of yanked it from somebody else's Facebook instead of sharing it, which I almost always do, because the guy that I found it with, uh, his not just the comments, but his page used the F word. The title of his page led off with the F word. F the government was the original source. So if you want to go find it, that's fine. I, I want to be clear about why I didn't share it. I don't generally allow the F word used on my site or on my show, with rare exceptions from Paul Wheaton and Jacob Lund Fisker because of the context in which it was used. So I generally don't allow that. So I certainly wasn't going to post the word myself on my page, but I want to share the picture. That's nothing to do with the subject we're about to go into now. And this is a very heartfelt thing that I want you to think about deeply before you get angry with me for telling you something I've told you before that many of you disagree with. The picture was of George Bush Jr. giving the thumbs up sign, um, Barack Obama giving the thumbs up sign, and our likely next president, Mitt Romney, giving the, the thumbs up sign. And they were all across the row of each other. And then the bottom said the famous quote on insanity. Insanity is doing the same thing over and over and over again and expecting different results. As I've told many of you guys, my days of punching a shad, pulling a lever, or ticking a box for the lesser of two evils is over. It's over, it's over, it's over. I will never again vote for anybody who I don't want in, in government. So if I absolutely don't want somebody, and I don't want somebody a little less, neither one of them get my vote. I'll take option three. Now, I hope that I've been clear about this, but I have to say this again. I'm not telling you to do the same thing. I'm telling you what I'm doing and why. And I'm at a point with any subject I'm very open-minded with until I get all the facts, all the details, and then I get to a point where I go, I'm just done. I don't really care why you think I'm wrong. This is what I think you're entitled to think what you think. Vote your conscience. And it's amazing to me that some people actually get upset when I tell them to vote their conscience. And, and, and this is why. Because they know, they know when they pull the lever for ask clown B or ask clown A, whichever one it is, they're not voting their conscience. They're making a, a, a serious compromise in their own belief system to do so. Now, I'm not telling you not to do it. I'm just telling you that's why you get angry. Not when I tell you I'm voting for a third party. When I tell you to vote, you vote for who you believe is the best person to do the job. That shouldn't anger you. That shouldn't upset you. And I'm getting to the point now where I'm going to kind of go into the real subject here. I just wanted to kind of give it some background because I believe that it's a part of a bigger problem, a great lie. A great lie. And this lie is not just in politics. It's in corporate marketing. It's in our school systems. It's in all walks of life. And I call it the great lie of dichotomy. And a dichotomy is when we have, or dichotomy, however you want to pronounce it, dichotomy. Um, dichotomy is we take two things into absolute separate non-overlapping groups. Black and white. A or B. Republican or Democrat, okay? And it's fiat or gold. And there's no place for any overlap or option C or D or E or F or G or freaking Z for that matter. The great lie of dichotomy. And this is what I want you to think about with the political debates. I'm about to, and again, if you're one of the persons that kind of drifts while you're listening, you're doing other things, if you could give me the next five minutes of your full attention, I would really appreciate it. The great lie of dichotomy is seen on days like Thanksgiving, 
When two brothers who haven't seen each other for a full year and finally came home to mom's house sit down, eat turkey and gravy and stuffing and all that jazz, and then after everybody's had a few drinks and is on the couch and the football game's over, the subject of politics comes up, especially if we're going into an election year or we just had an election, and it turns out that one of the brothers has become a dyed-in-the-wool Democrat, the other one has become a dyed-in-the-wool Republican, and a political argument will take place. The two brothers will become angry at each other, each defending probably their candidate, their guy, and to the point where many times one brother, who shares the blood of the other, who grew up in the same house, who has the same parents, who, has, who have great love for each other, who have great love for fellow siblings, so the same uncles and aunts, same grandparents, it's two brothers will curse each other. They will curse each other in defense of a multi-millionaire politician who has never done a damn thing for even one second to help either one of them. And that's the great lie of dichotomy. Uh, a lie so pervasive, so, so nasty, so invasive, that a brother will co co curse a brother or a father will curse a son to defend someone they've never met and has never done a damn thing for them. And that's where we are as a country right now on so many things and so many issues. And if we don't break this lie of dichotomy, we are completely, totally screwed as a people. Because we are on a course. We are on a course where I absolutely believe we are headed for economic, systemic collapse, not nationally, but globally. I believe that the current system must collapse. I do not believe that a collapse is inevitable. I, in other words, if, if you said, is there any solution at all? I would say, yes, there's lots of solutions. My problem is I don't believe that any of the people in power are willing to allow those solutions to come into play. They don't want them. They want the lie of dichotomy. Well, you know, you know how, how does Ben Bernanke defend the Federal Reserve? He focuses on one argument, gold standard argument, and says, well, in the gold standard, this is what can happen. And here's the thing, guys, right? Bernanke's an easy dog to kick because he's such a jackass and he looks kind of like an idiot and he says some really dumb things, but he's not a dumb person. And the objections, the objections he'll cite to the gold standard are valid. There are true ways that things can be manipulated. Specifically, if one country goes back to a gold standard and other nations don't. So that allows people to polarize to only gold is money. We have to have Federal Reserve. They're good. And, and no one actually looks for a true solution because they're split by the dichotomy. And this is what's gonna, this is, this is what's gonna lead us over the edge of the cliff. And then when we go over the edge of the cliff, Well, all the people in power simply say, well, the other side, now we'll just take the other side of this, this, this lie and we'll implement it and we'll control it to our own advantages. Don't think you can't manipulate a country, control a population, create shortages, create inflation, create deflation, do all of that stuff using metal. You certainly can. You can do it with any financial system if you have unlimited control of the financial system. You absolutely can. You can create inflation. You can create inflation with a gold-based monetary system. Absolutely can. The crime of 1873 where sil silver was demonetized, one of the reasons that they wanted silver to stay monetized was to create basically inflation. More money into more hands, which actually would devalue the money. And, 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 and William Jennings Bryant didn't believe there was enough gold for that effect to happen. And eventually enough gold was produced that even with gold, there was inflation. And Bryant himself, I'm doing a little monetary history here, but William Shedding Bryant uh, fought to bring silver back. But by the time that you know they were up into the 1900s, he basically said that the problem had corrected itself. And, and both sides were looking for inflation. No one tells you that. Now, not the kind of inflation we see under a fiat system, but, but it's there. So there's always been manipulation. There's always been control. And, and it's this split, you know, this, this A-B split that we're offered at. And think about it. Think about any big issue, political or not, just a big issue. Agriculture. 
Okay? Organic or commercial? What's option three? Now we got people screaming it's beyond organic, it's permaculture, all these other options. But what's, what's presented to the sheeple in the sheeple's daily bread? The daily bread for the sheeple is all the media that's handed to the sheeple through the, through the TV screen and the newspaper from the big media outlets. What's handed to them? Organic commercial. Organic's great, but we can't feed the world with it. Okay? And any big issue, any big issue, you have two choices. And what's ironic is in many instances, whatever choice you take, then whoever takes the other choice will lump you into a group as though you've made a hundred other choices and say, oh, you're one of those people. And then we stay divided. And if we stay divided, who wins? They win, the people in power, because then we fight with each other and we don't hold them accountable. And how well has that system worked? Perfectly. It's worked perfectly for over a hundred years, for two hundred years, damn near in this country. Right from our founding, we had the dichotomic split, and then, boom, we're into this place where... And here's another example of that. Imagine two people having a conversation, and the subject of gun control comes up, and one guy says, yeah, I believe that we have a right to own a firearm, and I believe that the Second Amendment protects that right, and uh, I believe that the government shouldn't interfere with that. And the other person says, I completely disagree. Okay? And then says to the guy that he disagrees with, you must be one of those conservative Republicans. Now, there's actually not a big reason to believe that. There really isn't. There's a, there's a propensity for that to be the case, but there really isn't. That doesn't mean that that person necessarily is a lockstep conservative, particularly maybe on social issues. And in that case, maybe he's actually a libertarian. Doesn't know it. But by the lie of dichotomy, Since that issue, that one hot-button issue, is very, very um, important to him, then he'll side with the Republicans, even if he has to hold his nose on a bunch of other things. And you wonder why they do whatever they want. Because if people divided are easy to conquer, folks, right? It's an old military, you know, tactic. Divide and conquer. Your nation has been divided since its inception. And the people in control have maintained that division so that they can maintain the control and everybody has played along beautifully. White versus Indian. Black versus white. Poor versus rich. Always a dichotomy. Always two sides. If we don't pay those welfare people that are sucking your money, middle class, they'll riot in the streets. So we better pay them, and they're just sucking your money. And we know, and we feel bad about it, we have to pay them. Hey, poor people, the welfare checks could be bigger if those greedy people over there would just give a little more. But they're so greedy, they don't care about you at all. And both sides believe it. While one of the poor people is going to a church and receiving food donated by one of those middle class people and they're praying together and in that moment there are two people helping each other because helping helps the giver and the receiver both and they don't even see during even that moment that the person that they've been lied to about is standing in front of them this is the great lie and this is the lie that keeps people in power that won't do anything different. This is the lie that keeps the nation on a course of doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. Here is a fact. Every president in the 19, you know, 1900s up through now, with the exception of Dwight Eisenhower, the only one that's an exception, expanded the debt of the United States during their term. Every president with that one exception, time-based, so some people were one-term president, so they might not have done as much as a two-term president preceding them. Every president in our history, from 1900 till now, on time-based, figuring out per year in office, spent more money than the president before them. Every president, every single one, expanded the power of government and reduced the liberty of the people. 
Every single one of them. Every single one of them raised taxes, even those credited with lowering taxes. If you lower taxes in one place but increase them in another, you've still increased taxation. It's squeezing a balloon. Squeeze a balloon. Look, it's smaller here. Doesn't matter if it balloons up over there. Every single one. Bush tax cuts? Yeah, he cut income tax. Great. I was all for cutting income tax. But they didn't cut spending correspondingly. They increased spending while cutting taxes. That increased the debt. The debt, and there's, okay, and then there's other taxes that were raised, direct taxes, but this is what, again, by, by making people focus on A or B, Republican or Democrat, tax or spend, tax and spend, or borrow and spend, that's the other, well, we have to spend, yeah, the, the entire concept of spending less, even the plan right now that's on the books, the Ryan plan in the House, to cut spending, doesn't actually cut any spending. It cuts the growth of spending that's already planned. Okay, so the actual idea we're going to cut, it's just, it's got, that's just, that's, that's crazy talk. We can't do that. We just have to figure out do we borrow or we tax. And the reality is, okay, so we cut tax, now we have to increase borrowing. When we increase borrowing, we increase inflation because we have to expand the money supply in order to borrow money. That's what borrowing money does. When we borrow money in this country, it actually creates money that expands the money, monetary supply. That creates inflation. When we create inflation, the value of the dollar in your hand goes down, and it's a hidden tax. Ben Bernanke was even forced to admit that inflation was a tax on the people uh, by Ron Paul on the House floor. So, no matter in the current system, no matter what we do, every action increases a tax on you. Even if we cut the taxes that you pay as long as we continue to spend and the monetary base has to continue to expand through borrowing to cover the deficit it's not just the debt that we owe it's the devaluation of our own money and if you have a 4% inflation tax it's actually worse than probably an 8% income tax because there's no deductions it's 4% of your total Wealth. Anything you have denominated in a dollar, if you have a 4% inflation rate, you just got a 4% tax on your total net wealth. That's your house. That's your car. Your 401k. Your IRA. Your bank account. But that's not why I think the system has to collapse. I think the system has to collapse because it's based on a premise that you can fix debt by borrowing more money, and no one's changing course. And we've seen what happens when people do change course without changing the system. Greece is what happens. Greece is what happens. The solution for Greece is, you know what? This EU, European global currency thing, and borrowing and all this crap, this is not working for us. We need to create a new monetary system for an independent Greece. That's Greece's solution. It'll hurt almost as bad at this point as what they're going through now. But they come out the other side liberated instead of enslaved. But that's not the solution. The solution is, this is the solution that Greece is enacting. Okay, I'll tell you what, if you guys just give us some more money, give us some more, please, please, please give us more, then we'll cut our spending and we'll use the money we're borrowing today to pay the debts that we already owe you from yesterday. That is precisely what's going on. You're bailing out a boat with a bucket. And you can keep the boat floating for only so long and then the leak exceeds the capacity of the bucket to bail. And that's what's happening to Greece. And every, and this is, again, God, you got to get at this. Every other nation in the, in the modern world is running the exact same scenario. The exact same game. It's one collective game. The reason I believe we have to collapse is because we won't fix the system. We'll only talk about how to play the game that we're already playing. Star Trek fans will know this term, Kobayashi, Kobayashi Maru. Okay, the famous thing that uh, Captain Kirk won. Well, you're not supposed to be able to win if you're not a Trek fan. Here's what this is: It was uh, at the Starfleet Academy where these guys are going to become, you know, officers. You know, the equivalent of our military academies today. They would put you through all this different training, and at one point you would be on this thing that was like a simulation. It looks like you're actually on a ship, and you're being attacked. The thing was, you could do anything you wanted to do. And all you could do was change 
how you died. But you were going to lose. You were going to go down and there was no way to win. And it was to test the person's ability to face that reality that there are unwinnable situations. Kirk, knowing about this, snuck in, hacked in, however, changed the program and created a way to win. And then when he was tested, used it and beat it. And they said he cheated. There's a lesson there. You don't have to be a, a science fiction fan to, to gain. The way you win when a system is broken is not by changing the way you're playing the system. It's by changing the system. And it's a lesson that our global leaders have no interest in learning because they designed the system to do precisely what it's doing with an understanding that it would have a timeline where it would eventually run out and no consideration for the damage it would do when it did because they knew they would just come in with a new system of control and apply that at that time and use the crisis as an excuse to apply a system of even greater and more harmful controls and create another temporary illusion of prosperity and continue the march toward totalitarianism economically. This is not New World Order talk. This is economic totalitarianism. The basic fact that people with the most money always want more and always want more control. And, and, and there's a point at which if a person reaches a certain level of wealth and they can't be satisfied, I believe they're mentally defective. I really do. I believe that if, if you sat down in front of me and, and I said, I'm going to start laying boxes of $100 bills in front of you. Boxes of them. Each box has, oh, I don't know, $100,000. $100,000 bills. And I'm going to start laying boxes in front of you. And we're going to count them as I do it. In fact, let's make this easier. There's big boxes. i got forklifts bringing stuff in. A million of them. Or a million dollars worth of a million dollars worth of hundred dollar bills in each box. When I get enough boxes in front of you that you're going to be happy and you can just take that and go off and and do whatever you want and you never have to work again, no strings attached. Just take the money and go. It's yours. When you get to a point where you feel like it's enough, just hold your hand up and we'll go give some of this money to somebody else. And you know you get to ten million, twenty million. At some point, if you don't go, uh, yeah, that's enough. Stop. Go give it to somebody else. I'm just, we're at a point now where I'm going to be giving some of it away anyway. I, I, I don't need any more. If you don't get to that point, I believe you're mentally defective. I really do. And the people that are worth a trillion, you know, no, it's not, there's not, nobody we know of anyway is technically worth a trillion dollars today, but uh, let's say people that are worth, you know, five billion, ten billion dollars. Some of these people are worth more than that. We don't even, there, there's people that, you know, they have this list of the wealthiest people in the world and all. And there's people that are at the control, at the helm of, you know, Chase Bank, uh, you know, JP Morgan. These people, you know, they all have a certain wealth on paper as an individual, but the reality is they control this entire economic empire. So they're really worth the total value of, of everything that they, they oversee. And people like that, that are like, well, that's not enough. I need more. I believe they're sick. They're smart, but they're sick. And that's why I believe we are going to have what we're going to call an economic doomsday. Now, I don't mean it the way that a lot of people portray it, where everybody's going to die and gas bombs are going to be flying through the air. And all. And it might happen. It likely will happen in some cities. There will be some cities that when the faucet goes off, the people that have lived on the system forever will literally snap a gasket and rage and go, well, if I'm not getting any, nobody's getting anything. And the, the martial law that we see will be extremely oppressive. And many people right now that go, oh, God, no martial law, will beg for it. The minute their children are threatened by an angry mob, They'll want the jackbooted thugs put into action. And in some places, it will be the only reasonable solution. And in other places, it will be abused. But what will happen is liberty will be stripped. So what do we do to prepare for it? We do the things that we talk about all the time. And, you know, I've been getting emails from people lately that say, but I'm in Cincinnati. I'm here. I have an apartment. I have... Listen, you can't expect that you're going to send me an email and say... Well, what do I specifically 
Joe Smith do? Because here's my place where I live and here's my scenario. And all the stuff you say, I can't. No, it doesn't work that way. You have to build your own solution. You have to build your own solution. You have to say, okay, I live in Cincinnati. If you live in parts of Cincinnati, it's probably one of the places you're going to see flames. But are you going to see flames tomorrow or in 10 years? I don't know. And it's reasonable to think that if you actually are awake and pay attention, that you'll know when things are starting to heat up. And you'll have more than five seconds to make a final decision and determination. But if you're asleep, it will appear to do this. So I think we actually need to be pretty optimistic and hopeful going forward. Because unlike the majority of people in the world who have been lulled into this, this sense of total freaking coma, it's like a, a, a reality coma. That's the word for it. It's reality coma. That's what people are in. It's not even right to call them sheeple because a sheep you know, will, will follow and just follow and follow. But if they see a wolf, they get scared, they run away, they huddle together, they defend themselves. These people out here don't even do that. When they see something, they're just like, uh, you know? It's, it's more like, they, like, like they have, they're in a coma that prevents them from actually absorbing and reacting to reality. Well, you're not there. And that means whatever comes, you'll be able to do something. Exactly what, exactly how, based on your situation and resources, I don't know. And, and, and the fact is, I don't even know in certain situations what I'm going to have to do or how I'm going to get it done. I just know that I'm aware and I'm prepared and I'll adapt. And that means that whenever something begins to degrade, there's two things that happen. Immense suffering, immense opportunity. The people that are aware are able to take advantage of the opportunities. And it's not always based on having a bunch of money. It's not always the Chris Dwayne solution that, hey, I'm going to have a whole bunch of silver, so I'm just going to buy all the stuff that's broken down. Well, yeah, that'll be great if it's also being hit with Molotov cocktails. Maybe you won't want it then. Maybe there'll be a time a delay between when things fall apart and when that, that power actually exists. Maybe you need to have another plan. Maybe it's not a silver bullet solution, whether that's cash or money or business or food or anything. Maybe you need to think more broad and understand that the greatest asset you have is your own ability to think. To think, perceive, React, learn, and adapt. That's what it's all about. You have to take action. When you see something that's imminent, you have to react to it. If you don't get a really great result, then don't follow the insanity definition and change tactics and adapt. And understand that the reason we can't fix the solution, the reason I, I'm almost, even though we're in an election year, I'm almost done discussing the candidates and, and the next election for the, for the whole year. Because it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what I say. It doesn't matter if I got on the, 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 the Barack Obama bandwagon or the Mitt Romney bandwagon and, and came out here every day and made a pitch for one of them, or I get on the Ron Paul is the only solution bandwagon and make a pitch for him every day, and I believe he's the best candidate that we have available to us. I don't agree with everything the guy says, but he's the best candidate I think that's currently available. It doesn't matter. I could do any one of the three. The election will not change because of what Jack Spirko says. I'm aware of that. And I don't care because I know that it's going to be one, one of two ass clowns and I know that there's not going to be much of a difference. So I'm pretty much done with it and I think that that's something that a lot of people need to get their head around. We have to do more work outside the system than inside the system right now if we want to have any real hope and optimism going forward. And, and I want to talk about kind of some, some arrogance that we have and some like down the nose looking at, at the people that we'd say have a reality coma or called sheeple. Especially like in the prepper reality shows, which I know are non-reality. And I know those people are being taken out of context, but I've heard this sentiment enough. Like basically, well, they'll learn then when they're all dying, when they're all dead, you know, they'll learn then. And the reality is most of the people are likely to survive. Most of the people are likely to meet the, the textbook definition of survive. There'll be people killed. There'll be people, you know, burned and, you know, God knows what else will happen. But not the majority. The majority of people will come out the other side. 
just like we did in the Great Depression, just like we did in previous economic depressions. The, the only way you're going to see a lot of people dead, and I mean like a majority of the people dead, is if like a pandemic comes along with this thing or something like that. There's more resources than people want us to believe. There's there are ways to feed each other. There are ways to and when and you know necessity being the mother of invention, when the crunch comes, people will figure this out. And there will be a limit to the writing, especially in this country. If you write in this country, it's only so long before common citizens say, you know what, we've had enough. And then the people that end up dead are the ones doing the writing and looting. And then pretty soon it becomes an, an idea that, hey, this is not a good career path. So there will be limits to that. But what we need to understand is what will what will it be like for those people. And, and the reality is it will be they will survive the economic collapse in total misery. Total misery. You know, there's a picture of a lady from the Great Depression, probably one of the most famous pictures ever taken. She just looks just depressed. You know, it's a black and white picture. Her hair's back. She's dirty. She's just sitting there. You know the one I'm talking about, uh, hopefully. But if you can see that picture in your mind right now, I want to tell you something a lot of people don't know. That lady was only 32 years old when that picture was taken. 32. And you think about what the average 32-year-old woman looks like. And she was a thin, you could tell, uh, attractive woman overall. She looked 50 in that picture. And that 20 years of age was put on by misery. And that's what people that are completely unprepared can hope for, is misery-based survival. It won't be like the Great Depression. It will be different. How? I don't know. What will it look like? I don't know. I think it'll have some very big similarities to Greece, to Argentina, the Soviet Union when it fell apart. But it'll be different and it'll be worse because unless the, the world collectively wakes up to this Ponzi scheme that we've based our entire monetary, monetary system on, when we go, everybody goes. We'll take everybody with us. We really will. And we'll take them with us. Even if they separate their currencies and get out of this, you know, U.S. dollar is the global currency, we'll still, because we're one of the biggest economies in the world. Think about it this way. If California completely economically implodes, will it hurt somebody in Florida? Or will the person in Florida just, I don't care, it's California. Of course it'll hurt them. It's one of the biggest economies in the United States. So, and then as it hurts the economy of some of the other states and they begin to have economic recession problems, will that cascade into other states that maybe weren't quite as directly affected by the initial uh, collapse of California? Well, yes. And eventually, if you have a, any single major state in this union that collapses, will drag the whole union down with it. Well, any major economic power like the United States that collapses in the global economy will drag the rest of the world down with us, especially when there's no more bailouts to be had, and that's what we're headed for. So I want to talk about a few scenarios. There's three scenarios I can think of for people, not for government. I think we're wasting time expecting government or politicians to fix this problem. I think we need to accept that the problem exists, and somehow the problem will make itself known at some point in a way where they can't shove it back in the bottle anymore and it's going to come out and we're going to deal with it then. And that's how we need to live our lives. And if it doesn't happen and we do it smart and we plan to live a better life, if times get tough or even if they don't, we're just as well off if nothing goes wrong. We're still okay. We're not being stupid. We're not going out and mortgaging our house a second time to put in a bomb shelter and, and five years worth of food. We're just not taking stupid steps like that. We're staying long and we're doing everything we're supposed to do. Okay, That's what I'm talking about when I say be prepared. So I want to ask you a question about the current situation that we're in if you agree with me that we're on a course that will eventually lead to economic disaster. Who wins if people just ignore reality? Who wins if people ignore reality? Who wins if people freak the hell out and go nuts and start rioting and, and, and behaving uh, insanely, including us? Like, And what I mean by us, what, who wins if we start just like becoming the way we're actually presented on Doomsday Preppers to that extreme and even worse? Who wins if, if people freak out? And who wins if people actually prepare in a practical manner? Okay. So let's start with the first one. Who wins if people ignore reality? Well, the nation, the people, certainly doesn't win because eventually they face the disaster wholly and fully unprepared and they take the full brunt of the disaster. So the people don't win. 
Do the politicians win? Do the politicians win if people ignore reality? They most certainly win right up until reality faces things. Do they win after the reality surfaces? You can bet that you'll have major heads rolling in any kind of a democracy as far as people going out and, and new people coming in. But in the great lie of dichotomy, who's going to come in? More politicians with the same old story. That will use the disaster as an excuse to get something done which previously would not have been possible to get done. Why do we know that's true? Because it happens over and over and over again in history. You know what they teach kids about history? Well, I don't want to study history, Mrs. Smith. Why do I have to study history? It's just what some guy did in some year. It was boring and I don't care about it. What does the standard uh, textbook answer? Well, Timmy, the reason we study history is because we need to learn from the mistakes of the past so that we don't repeat them in the future. Remember that? I mean, I, I heard that so many times that You know, I can repeat it verbatim, probably in my sleep. You know, I could probably repeat it, you know, intoxicated, walking a line, touching my nose. I could repeat that accurately. I've heard it so many times. Do you know what we should be telling people when they ask us, why do we study history? We don't study history to avoid repeating the mistakes of the past. We don't, because we continue to repeat this. So it's, it's clearly a fallacious statement. It, it can't possibly be true, because it isn't. We study history, because it, by looking at history... We'll see what a dumbass did in the past and all the misery that it caused. So that when another dumbass does do it again in the future, we know what to expect so we can be prepared to deal with the react, the, 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 uh, the, the, the misery created by the dumbass action. Some dumbass is going to do it again. Period. Over and over and over. So if people ignore reality, those that are in charge of the system, that have been in charge of the system, continue to win. The politicians that get voted out of office, whatever's left of an economy, everybody will be grabbing for some piece of it. The biggest corporations in the world trying to survive know that government is key to their survival. We'll take all of the politicians that got thrown out, turn them into lobbyists and send them right back in to influence the decision makers that were brought in to replace them. How do we know that's what's going to happen? Because that's what just happened. 2010, we fired more politicians than any time in the history of our nation. 50% of them are currently lobbyists or working as consultants for lobbying firms. Half the people you fired have now got more influence in your government than they did before you fired them because a lobbyist has more power today than a congressman. There's an old saying, on one hand delivers money to another, the one doing the giving is in control because it's always the hand that's higher. You hand from above. So when you are given money by somebody, you become beholden to them, especially in that arrangement. And there's reality. So if we, if we ignore the reality as a collective, as a, as a people of this country, the people in charge win. Period. And everybody else loses. Who wins if people freak out? What if everybody starts freaking out? Do you know what freaking out actually would do? It would just bring the inevitable conclusion to an end faster. Well, we'll end up with the, if people freak out and go nuts and don't practically prepare as individuals and families first and then as neighborhoods and communities second and build awareness and build independence... If they just freak out, oh my God, the sky is falling, all it will do is speed up the same solution that we would, the same, the same reality we would end up with if we totally ignore it. If we ignore it, they can play the game for longer. If we freak out, then the cracks in the dam get exposed faster, the water comes through faster, and then the dam breaks faster, and we end up in the same place with the same scenario I just gave you. So if people freak out, the people in power win. Right? That's it. The politicians win, and everybody else loses, and we end up in the same state of misery. So who wins if people prepare? Who wins if we can get 10% or 20% of this, this country to just simply go, my grandparents weren't stupid. If we can just get 10% to 20% of this country to just go that far, just that far, My grandparents weren't stupid. I'm going to look at how they lived their life, and I'm going to live my life their way. Some people that are a little bit older may have to take a little bit bigger step and say, my great-grandparents weren't stupid. But if we could just get people to live with the mindset of basic practical preparedness that was common in this country 
from, let's say, its founding up until about 1930, 1940, who wins? Who wins? When the system collapses... If there's nobody to help, if there's nobody to render aid, if there's nobody to hold people up, if there's nobody to share, if there's nobody to teach, if there's nobody to come in and say, we can fix this, here's how, here's a way forward, here's how you can feed yourself, here's some food until you can feed yourself, here's how we can create a new economy, here's how we can create a temporary economy in our own system using barter, here's how we can do this, here's how we can do that, here's a solution, here's a solution, here's a solution. Some people come, it will be, come into my home. We'll take, we can't take everybody. We can take these two people. And then somebody else in the community says, well, I can take him. I have a farm. I'll put him to work and I'll feed him. If that doesn't exist, it's a vacuum. And what does nature do with a vacuum? It fills it. And what does a political system do with a vacuum? It fills it and it utilizes it till its own, its own end. The only way we change The results is that when the system falls, we pick it up and we put it back together so quickly they don't get a chance to use it to their own end. That's the only way we change the reality. And it's a, that's a big dream. That's a big dream. But if you don't have a big dream, it's not worth dreaming in the first place. And if people say to me, well, what if we only get 1% or 2% of the people to do that? Well that at least those people are able to take care of themselves and one or two percent more. And maybe those people all go somewhere. Maybe Chris is right. Maybe that's what happens. I don't know. I don't know. But I know it's too big of a game. It's too high stakes of a game not to try. It's, I know it's why I do this. I know it's what gets me up in the morning and gets me psyched up and gets me to come down here and, and get behind this microphone and talk to you for an hour or more that I believe that it's possible. I don't know that it's probable, but I know that it's possible. And sometimes it only takes a few people to say, this can be done to cause a chain reaction, a catalyst, where other people start to say, you know what? It can be done. And then they say it, and then it just builds virally like that. That's my goal. That's what I really want. I don't want everybody that listens to this show to be ready for doomsday By going down in a hole in the ground. I want us to see doomsday as our call to action. When we mobilize. When we get out and go. Alright, here's all the people I'm already in contact with. Let's get together with them. And let's go start fixing this here. Let's have a, And let's start building our plans and our relationships and our strategy now. And understand that there's not a group. It will be hundreds and hundreds of groups with competing ideas. And then the marketplace, the reality of the marketplace, however dark it may seem, will sort it out. Will the guy that put 100% of his assets in a silver do best? Or will the guy that put a little bit in a silver and put most of it in food and shelter and energy and you know food production? Who knows? Will both of them do very well? Likely. Will some people gravitate to one or the other based on their just personality, disposition, and what they need? Absolutely. That's called a marketplace. That's called a marketplace of free ideas and free creativity. That's how we win this thing. We win this thing not by waiting for the dust to settle when, when the boot comes down. We win this thing by when the whole thing falls apart, we begin immediately reconstructing it. What does that sound like? What happens when you kick an ant nest? First, they all come out and try to kick your ass, right? And they just look for you, I'll sting you, I'll bite you, and you, huh, right? So you got to be able to defend yourself like an ant, right? And then they say, well, you know what? The threat's gone. Um, okay, everybody calm down. Call off the, call off the alert. All right. Um, we got plenty of food and water down in the nest. We got the young we're taking care of down there. And this, this whole piece, you know, half of our world is now destroyed. Let's get to work and put it back together. That's being an ant, not a grasshopper. That's a totally new way to look at and see the story. Right? If you cut down the grasshopper's field of grass, he starves. If you tear the ant's hill apart, he just puts it back together because most of what he's really doing is below the surface. 
He's public about his home. Here it is. Everybody knows it's an ant nest. Right? They have an established community. That community mobilizes to repair things. But what they really need to survive is kept below the surface. Maybe we can learn more from the ants than we even thought we could. I also want to say, again, I, I said I'm almost done, and I am almost done for the year. The next president won't really make a difference, and here's why. You can convince me. You can convince me that Mitt Romney might appro uh, appoint a slightly better Supreme Court justice in some inst on some issues than Barack Obama. And I will point out that that justice will be uh, anti-liberty on completely different issues. Right. And I'll also tell you that a lot of the really big hot-button issues for the Supreme Court will have been decided. And as I said in an earlier show uh, this week, once there's a, a Supreme Court decision on an issue, it doesn't ever usually get back to the Supreme Court. And look for find find for me if you can today, if you don't believe me, a place where the Supreme Court came down with a full decision on an issue, and that issue went back through the system and came back, and a different decision was issued. Find me one. I don't know of any. If there are. I'll admit it, and I'll point them out, and we'll talk about what that means. And that would be a very interesting discussion. So, But that's not even the point. Here's Because it's the system, remember? Remember? With the Kobayashi, Kobayashi Maru? The system is designed to fail. When you play this game, it's only determining what the time factor toward failure is and what the failure will look like. But in the end, everybody gets killed, metaphorically. So if you change the person that is doing the talking, but the underlying system of operations doesn't change, then nothing changes. And I, I, for, if there's anybody out there that's like a cartoonist, I got a great political cartoon for you. What you would have is like a stage, like an old theater stage, and then down you know, with the balcony up above, right above where the stage is, and then down below the balcony, two podiums, and you have two presidential candidates. I don't even care what their names are. Right. And people are looking at them and like people in the audience are saying, that's what I believe, too. And that's what I believe, too. And you're wrong and stuff like that. And then up on the balcony, the over like the, 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 the bird's nest over top of them, there's like four dudes up there on one side, a hat. This is like Federal Reserve. The other one has a hat. This is like international bankers. Right. You know, and, 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 and the other one says like chief lobbyists and stuff like that. And each one of them has two strings. And each string goes to one of each candidate's, like, so one guy's holding two strings and one goes to one candidate's left foot and the other candidate's right foot. And then, the you know, like, the lobbyist guy has two strings and one he goes to the opposite feet, but one on each candidate. And they're all up there and they're just, you know, just, just pulling the strings. And, and then the, the <laughs> and then there's, like, a guy that's, that's, that's using the teleprompter. And the teleprompter line goes to both screens. And, uh... And he's he, over his shoulder. He says to one of the guys pulling the strings, "What do I tell him to say?" And he just says, "Whatever the people on his side want to hear." And then we're going to focus on the puppets instead of the people pulling the strings and putting the words in their mouth. That's playing the game in the system, and it's not going to change there. Now, if you want to be politically active, great, go for it. That's your thing. Do it. If you think you can make a, a difference there, you might be able to short term. Go for it. But I'm going to focus on the reality that there's a cliff in my future, and I don't know exactly how far away it is, exactly how far the car, fast the car is going, and which angle I'm approaching it at. But at some point, that cliff's going to be there. And when I hit it, I'm going to step out of the vehicle, watch it tumble over the side, and try to stop as many people as I can from going over without seeing the cliff. In fact, I've already gotten out of my car. And I'm watching people head toward the cliff, and I'm yelling, there's a cliff ahead. And it's up to them to stop the car or not. That's my role. So I'm not here for politics. I'm really not. I'm here for liberty. I'm here for freedom. But I'm not here as a politician. I've had people ask me, would you ever run for, poli for political office? The answer is absolutely not. Absolutely not. Why would I want to become get a bigger cog in the system? No interest. No one can fix the problem with the current system, folks. No one can fix the system. What we can do is we can fix ourselves. And that's what you should do for yourself regardless of who you are or where you're at. I don't care if you're in Cleveland. Build community. Have some extra food. Have some extra water. Have a means of defense. Start breaching out. Build community wherever you're at. And it might be that, okay, you have a group of people that say, if this really goes wrong, 
We're going to need to get out of here. We're going to need to bug out. And maybe we need to bug out together. Maybe we need to figure out a way to make that happen. But maybe we need to bug out just long enough till the, the initial implosion is over, and then we need to come back and start putting our damn community back together. Because, you know, I live here. It's mine. I mean, here's the thing. If you wouldn't feel that you wanted to come back to a place and fix it if you could, why do you live there now? Go somewhere else. Well, I have a job. You can find a job anywhere. You really can. Especially if you're employed. You know, the job market supposedly sucks right now, but if you already have a job, the job market gets great. This is a great time to look for a job if you have one. If you haven't had a job in three years because unemployment's high and I have my pick of the litter, so to speak, as an employer, it's a terrible time to look for a job. Because my first question to you is, why have you been three years without a job? You know, well, I was holding out for, you know, whatever. Why do you just take any job? Well, the unemployment was, but it's three years. You, you know, I mean, that's just how, that's the, whether it's fair or not, that's the stigma. Somebody that comes to me and says, hey, I want to work for you. And I go, what do you do now? And I work over here for your competition. Really? What are you guys doing over there? I can't tell you because I work over there. But, you know, some things I could tell you if I came to work for you and we could use those things to improve operations. In fact, we're having a conversation. I don't know if you're going to get the job, but we're talking. And if you talk to enough people, someone's going to give you a job. If you really hate where you are, you can leave. If you really hate where you are, go somewhere. And I'm not telling you to go to the sticks, move out in a mountain like I did, or, uh, you know, I'm not, I'm saying go somewhere where you would feel that it's your duty to try to save it. And if you can't save it from an acute occurrence, to back off and wait for an opportunity to come in and fix it. Stay somewhere with some loyalty. Stay somewhere that you actually feel like when I'm here, this is my home, this I will defend. And this I will defend does not need to be to the point of stupidity. In the art of war, we learn, never fight a battle that you can't win. Never even fight a battle that you can't win. Avoid it. So there's a point for retreat, but the point of retreat is not to run away and cower under a rock. It's to run away until there's a weakness in your enemy that you can exploit, and then you choose your own time to fight the battle. And sometimes fighting a battle... Sometimes fighting a battle, folks, it's not about guns and ammo. It's not about baseball bats and clubs or Molotov cocktails. It's about fighting a battle for, what do they say? When we invade a country and kill a bunch of people, they say we're fighting for their hearts and their minds. You don't win somebody's hearts and mind by blowing up their house. You win somebody's heart and mind who's had their house, had the roof ripped off of it by putting a roof back on it for them. That's how you win hearts and minds. That's how you win hearts and minds. And that's going to be the real battle. No matter what anybody tells you. And there's other types of disasters here, folks. If we have a pandemic, it's a different, it's a different, different world. But in the economic breakdown that sooner or later we mathematically inevitably will, will face, that's going to be the battle. Which ideas about the new system win? And they have a huge marketing apparatus. And they've sold the lie of dichotomy so well, the people will tend to gravitate towards it. So what we need is a community, a team of people, and we're not big enough for this yet, but I believe it's where we're headed. And I don't mean TSP. I don't mean the survival podcast. I mean the prepper community at large. All of us, all our groups, survivalist boards, you know, the, the preparedness board and the whole community around Backwoods Home Magazine, uh, Frugal Squirrels, all of these places, Zombie Squad, all of them. There's more of us than anybody else even realizes yet. We don't do that great of a job of talking to each other. We should probably do a better job of that. But we need to start reaching beyond the Internet at this point. We need to start reaching physically out to each other and building the community structure more solid. Right where we are, wherever you are, either that's your home, and you should see it as this is I will, this I will defend, and this I will rebuild if it's broken down, or find a place you feel that way about. I don't care if it's city, I don't care if it's country, I don't care if it's rural, I don't care if it's urban. Find a place you feel that way about. Put down roots, develop a strong community, and be prepared not just to survive but to be part of the solution 
And like I said, let's put so many solutions in place when something fails that some of them are going to work, and let's fix the problem before authority gets a chance to use the vacuum as an excuse for greater tyranny. It can be done. It's a big dream. Thank you for sharing it with me today. And with that, this has been Jack Spierko with another episode of the Survival Podcast, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough, or even if they don't. We forget we are what we eat. I don't know the answer. It's like there's nothing I can do. It's the price we pay, I guess, when we follow all the rules. There's a better way to do this. Let me show you a better way. Revolution is